All right. Welcome, folks. Welcome back to Larger, Freer, More Loving. As always, I'm Matt Levine. I'm Dwight Lewis. And again, we're here with an unplanned episode. We're going to have to do a quick cast because something seriously grabbed our attention. And unlike uh, the last two times we've done a quick cast, this is not something good that grabbed our attention at all. This is something that has genuinely scared and terrified Dwight and I, uh, and we just felt like we needed some outlet for dealing with it. And this is uh, the executive order on combating race and sex stereotyping that came out from Donald Trump in the last several weeks. Uh, and Dwight, I know you've done a really, really deep read, deep dive into this. Uh, so. Could you start us off just with a little overview of, of what goes on in this executive order? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Woo. So when we look at this executive order, um, I think the thing that pops out is um, how it begins to tell us that there are particular hierarchies, or people believe that there are particular hierarchies that are based on social and political identities, like race, like gender. And what it wants to say is these things are untrue and that they are anti-American and that these type of racial and, sexu and sexual identities in relationship to superiority and inferiority are a misrepresentation of American history. Um, and ultimately, it is, they, are they are destructive concepts, right? Or destructive ideology, as the actual order says, right? So what does it mean by this, this destructive ideology? Um, what it says is that, it's, is, it, is that this destructive ideology leads to decisiveness or division in America, right? And so what we have to do is push past, right? No longer think about, the, about race, about, about gender, about sex. And what we need to do is be post-racial, post-sex, right? Um, and that if we don't do this, what we're doing is actually threatening the core of American society, right? Um, and that we are infecting uh, American society with a type of disease that is ripping it apart if we continue talking about um, social and political identities, um, especially in relationship to a hierarchy. Um, so um, what it then says is therefore the U.S. shall not promote sex or gender stereotyping, scapegoating, scape, uh, scapegoating wherever federal funds are, are used um, and that these type of training classes cannot be taught to employees. Um, and um, these type of trainings that deal with uh, race and sex um, cannot be taught in the universities or in any federal uh, funded um, um, organization unless it is taken, unless it is done from an objective position, right? Um, not saying that certain positions are already going to be um, inherently um, in a worse off space in relationship to something like um, intersectionality, right? Um, so a concept like intersectionality will go completely against uh, this order. Um, it would be, it would to some extent need to be thrown out, right? Um, and what this order says particularly is such ideas like intersectionality are fashionable in the academy, but they have no place in programs and activities supported by federal uh, taxpayer dollars, right? So um, race, 
gender, um, sexuality, ability is fashionable, right? It's fashionable, but it actually shouldn't matter in relationship to how we're existing in the world. I don't know how that position can even be taken. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a scary position, right? Uh, that difference and difference based on a hierarchy um, are based on the fact that history has um, privileged particular positions, right? Um, and not just history, but we can also look at the ways um, that uh, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw actually shows us, right, based on the uh, judicial system, the ways that these things are just clearly present today, right? Um, but yet we are still in this position where it is just fashionable in the academy, right, to talk about these things. And it's not something uh, that, uh, um, that is actually um, foundational, I guess, to, um, to um, um, the positionality that certain people have in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's really interesting there, right? Like this idea that somehow wanting to treat people with dignity and respect and equality and justice is is denigrated as fashionable, right? Fashionable. <laughs> and I mean, so, so uh, you know, as you put this, obviously you and I are going to be freaked out about this. Um, you know, it, it, it's all centered around this idea of divisive concepts around things like uh, uh, teaching about uh, uh, training about implicit bias, about intersectionality, about critical race theory, about all of these things that we are talking about all of the time because we think they're so important to talk about to, to yeah. combat the injustice and oppression we see in the world. And now, um, now, you know, this is telling us that, that we can put everybody at our institutions at risk if we continue to do so. And again, you know, uh, uh, as much as as much as that's a risk um, and a worry I have here, I can't I can't pretend that that this is not um, that this is not something that that puts you a black man at more risk than it does me a, a, a white man here, and and this is something that I see throughout this piece is is um, even though on the face of it it is trying to it is claiming that it's wanting to divide us less throughout this is this is dividing us more and more there's this us and them mentality going on throughout the entire thing that that really um brings to my mind um just how much uh this is this is this is a fascist document um and 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 that's one so so one of the things i wanted to talk about there um was this in relation to uh jason stanley's 2008 uh, 2018 book uh how fascism works the politics of us against them uh and in this in this book um one of the things that stanley does is he he looks uh he looks at the history of fascism he looks at fascism in the present world and he he talks about a, a, a number of really, really common tactics you see, you see fascist leaders relying on. Um, and these are things that we see throughout this order, right? So he, he talks about um, uh, exploiting a mythical version of uh, the nation's past, right? So this, this executive order, uh, this executive order begins 
with this really, oh really bizarre uh, uh, story of a mythical past of the United States where he wow. says, you know, from the battlefield of Gettysburg to the bus boycott in Montgomery and the Selma to Montgomery marches, heroic Americans have valiantly risked their lives to ensure that their children would grow up in a nation living out its creed expressed in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, goes on and on to lionize President Abraham Lincoln and, and, and just gives this completely bizarre, whitewashed, mythical version of our nation's past. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead I, there. I was I was blown away by this section um, because almost everything he invoked on this part was all positions where there was actually a social hierarchy and a political hierarchy of identities. Right. Um, every place, everything that he identified in this section one, in that uh, in the first, I think it's the first two paragraphs of that section, um, are all places where um, uh, brown and black people, um, women, um, were actually in a position that was significantly worse. And we're talking about not just in relationship to society and politics, but we're, at, the, at these points, it was actually legal, right? right? It was actually the law. And so it's mind blowing that he's, he's picking all of these spots in relationship to, for me, that uh, in relationship to where there actually is a legal hierarchy, right? right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, this, we, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, so, so this continues. This is one of the other things that, that Stanley talks in this, uh, talks about in this book uh, in terms of fascist tactics is uh, uh, accusing others of doing the very same thing that one is doing <laughs> to sort of to sort of try to oh, oh I couldn't be doing that because I'm accusing you of doing that surely I wouldn't be doing the very thing that I'm accusing other people of doing yeah 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 right. that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> uh, he's definitely doing it here right one hundred percent. And and since since I mentioned the the Abraham Lincoln part, this is something I've always got to bring up. I I get so frustrated when people talk about uh, Abraham Lincoln as this as this force for racial justice, uh, because he was he was admittedly nothing of the sort, right? So I mean, uh, even after the Emancipation Proclamation was written, uh, 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 Abraham Lincoln wrote uh, an op-ed in which he says, I quote, my paramount, my paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union and is not either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it, mm, mm. right? And this is not, uh, this is not an outlier in, in Lincoln's uh, career. Uh, Lincoln makes clear back uh, back to uh, the debates from the 1850s that he does not believe in racial equality, uh, and this is not just for um, this is not just for enslaved peoples of African descent. You see, throughout his administration, uh, genocidal practices with respect to indigenous people in the United States. Uh, so again, this 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 mythic past around around Abraham Lincoln is one of these things that that I get so frustrated by. And part of what this executive order is doing is trying to uh, uh, silence us 
yeah, scare yeah. us to talk about these things and to let people know that these things are true and to try to understand what it means that we've got this picture of Abraham Lincoln and this is actually what Abraham Lincoln was like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it also frees people. Um, at least it legitimizes, um, you know, we've all got people in our lives that don't believe that uh, race or sex or gender or any type, uh, any anything that's a part of the protected classes is not uh, the case. Um, and I think this allows people, this legitimizes that position for a lot of people, um, especially when it's coming out of the White House. Um, people believe things that come out of there are true or right. Um, and I've said this a million times, and I don't know if I've uh, said it in a couple episodes, but you know, either you know the majority of women are liars, or you know, sex with them exists. And if you want to say that it doesn't exist, and you're especially not a woman, then what you're doing is telling a lot of women, a lot, a whole sect of people, that I know what it's like to be a woman better than you. Right. Right. That you're a liar, and I know what it's like to be a better woman. I know what it's like to be a woman more than you do. Right. Um, I try to imagine this. Right. If a house, if a, if I was in my neighborhood and a house was burning down, and I ran up to a house and I knocked on the door. And I was like, hey, there's a house burning right over here. And someone was like, liar. That would be, you would be like, that's crazy. But as soon as someone does it in relationship to race or sex, people want to point to you and tell you that you're a liar. And it's sad, it's sad. And here, this allows people to legitimize pointing at people and saying, no, you're a liar in relationship to what you're talking about, race and sex and gender. Um, and anything that's a part of the um, protected class, it's sad, it's sad, it's sad. Right, and I mean, this is, this is again, another one of the tactics that, that Stanley says there is, is consistent in, in, in fascist politics is um, this, this denigrating of, of minority groups, this denigrating of marginalized groups, uh, all the way up to um, uh, 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 this law and order politics that is predicated on the assumption that members of minority groups are criminals, right? Yeah, and this exactly. is something that I mean, I don't, I don't. In some ways, I don't, I don't know what Donald Trump's politics has been, other than uh, law and order rhetoric that's that's trying to uh, uh, denigrate um, uh, uh, people of color, especially. Um, but I mean, you, you uh, before we were talking before we started recording here and you said, uh, uh, I thought really interestingly that this actually goes one step further than just uh, 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 trying to make it seem like like minority groups are criminals. Um, could you say a little bit about uh, about what you had to think there? Yeah, it seems to me that um, even being on the side of like discussing the concepts um, in relationship to um, uh, social and political um, identities are discussing concepts um, that like racial biases and sexual biases is now criminal, right? So it's not even like that the black or the brown or the whatever is criminal, um, but actually even, even like uttering or beginning to deal with racial biases or sexual biases at the conceptual level is criminal. Um, and that is where I think, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole nother thing when you're like coming at uh, particular individuals um, than when you're stomping entire concepts um, out of the intellectual um, atmosphere. 
right? It's like, nope, that concept is no longer allowed. Um, that, to me, seems like in, uh, intellectually criminal, right? Um, uh, it's, it's intellectual prison. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that infects us all, right? Uh, intellectual prison infects us, um, not just brown and black people, but it's going to affect all of America. Um, and I think that is scary. It's very scary. Yeah, and I so so I thought that was a really interesting point you made there. Um, but something you said earlier also I think gets at one of the reasons why. So, so I've been, <laughs> I've thought of Trump as a fascist for a long time. So in some ways, um, I've been trying to understand. Okay, what is it about this executive order that seems like? taking a big next step in that in that road to fascism and and i think it's i think it's some of these ways that it goes the next step an extra step that you're talking about here and 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 i think one of the other ones you mentioned here is is um legally enforcing codifying some of these things right because because one of one of the um, one of the things that people that people uh, often talk about in talking about the history of uh, white supremacy in the United States, the history of systemic racism in the United States, is you know they make this they make this distinction between 1968 and after, right? So 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 pre 1968 is when we've got uh, uh, de jure. Uh, 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 systemic racism in the United States, and after that's when we have de facto systemic racism in the United States. And and one of the things, one of the things that that really seems scary about this to me is this is sort of trying to recodify, to bring back into law some oh, yeah. of these things yeah. which have been uh, 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 not very much under the surface, but at least just a veneer of being underneath uh, uh, under the surface here. I agree. I agree. I agree 100%. This is, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's sad. Um, but when you make a myth of history, you are, I, I think you're destined to then repeat it. Right. Uh, and I think so. The, the, the first point, um, we talked about mythical, uh, how Trump is making a mythical past of the history, um, creating a mythical history. Um, and I think as soon as you begin to create a mythical history, you then are destined to then repeat um, that myth. I mean, you really, I mean, not the actual myth, but the truth, you're destined to repeat the truth, um, which will then hopefully um, uh, not lead us to to creating that uh, uh, myth again, right? right. Uh, hopefully we don't do that. Uh, right, and and you know, at least on the face of it here, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some semblance of a distinction between between uh, training about these things and teaching about these yeah, things. Yeah, 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 100%. But one of the things I think was really important about, about the way you know, we talked about this as, as you were talking about this deep dive you did into it here, um, you, you noted that there's something, there's something sketchy about this, this clause here that tries to at least make that distinction, right? So, so section 10B here says, Nothing in this order shall be construed to prohibit discussing as part of a larger course of academic instruction the divisive concepts listed in section 2a of this order. And you pointed out this next phrase here is really, really interesting in an objective manner and without endorsement. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, could you talk to me a little bit about what, what you saw so problematic there? Yeah. So we could, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really unclear about how we talk about, um, um, uh, race and sex in an objective matter without endorsement. I think that's what really got me. Um, do I just talk about um, race in general? Um, and then, right, if um, the whole point, the whole reason we have particular concepts is because they have epistemic import, the concept does, right? Um, and so if I'm just talking about race in, in obscurity, right, um, it doesn't give us the import um, that it can give us when we bring it into the social sphere, when we bring it into the academic sphere, when we bring it into the work sphere. Um, and so my question is, am I able to still talk about race in relationship to the social, uh, in, the, in the social sphere? Because then that automatically moves us away from, I think, from this objective matter. Um, and then how do I then talk about it? Because now I've already, when I bring it in the social sphere, I'm already talking about it in relationship to a hierarchy, sorry. Um, also in relationship to intersectionality, right? Um, and so if I'm doing that, then like, I'm, I'm just gonna leave off an endorsement. I'm just gonna be like, you know what? Like there's these hierarchies, these things are happening, social this, social that, there's biases. Um, or, or some people think are, there are these yeah, things, yeah, right? People, you can't, right, <laughs> in some ways. Right, so there's there's the issue of of what it means to talk about these things yeah, yeah, without yeah, yeah, endorsement yeah, yeah. in the first place. But yeah. then there's the further issue of the fact that, you know, the the just this couple of word phrase here has a whole bunch of assumptions built yeah, yeah. into it that that what it is to talk about these things in an objective manner, yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about them without endorsement. Yeah, yeah, right, because yeah. and, and it just assumes there that that what it is to be objective about these things is either to deny these things or yeah. to be neutral about them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, this yeah. is something, and this is something that I just I I will never be able to accept the idea that objectivity and neutrality are somehow are somehow yeah. the same thing. Same thing right, yeah. like no, I'm sorry, it's an objective fact that yeah. the U.S. did some really really fucked up things yeah, 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 in. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in its history with respect to race. That's an objective fact and there's nothing neutral about it. Objectivity and neutrality are simply not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, but this statement is not um, object, objective or neutral. Right, right. <laughs> so it's, it's funny to me that like we get here to this, this uh, the, the one real line that, that talks about the like, academic institutions, the one real point is can be um, and here you see that it's like being thoroughly unacademic, right? That's what right. I really want to get at. Is it's like saying to do something that it's not even doing in and of itself. Um, and so I'm just really, I was really thrown off by this. Um, and the real question I had is what is this, right? What does this mean for us in the classroom, right? Um, am I then, when I do bring up these concepts, am I going to have to just be obscure? Um, and, uh, and, if I um, do talk about something in this in this decisive concept list, um, not uh, like not objectively and not um, in neutrality, right? Uh, then what does that mean for my university, right? What does that mean for me? Can my university fire me if I have this? Um, if I have papers like this, 
that deals with that deal deal with uh, racial biases in an unobjective matter manner. Do um, uh, is that going to be able to be a part of my tenure uh, file? Right. Um, these are the questions now that I'm in, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm blown by. And as we've seen throughout the U.S., we've already seen universities starting to close their um, diversity and inclusion um, uh, departments, right? Uh, and so I'm like, well, wh where, where are we, like, what does this mean for us in two to three years from now? What does it mean? Also, what does this mean for me in, in six months? Um, right. I've already emailed, you know, my the chair of my department, um, and I've seen some universities are already starting to, you know, post statements. Um, and so I'm just trying to get a grasp on how this is actually going to really affect um, the university, uh, the ways that we teach it, the ways that we, well, we know one, you know, we're, we're not, the trainings are going to change. That's one thing for sure. There's so much information in this about not being able to do um, these particular types of trainings um, in relationship to social and political identities that we know that has to change. Um, but the question is, um, what are we what are we going to do with things like Black History Month, right? Um, what are we going to do uh, with uh, like what if I'm teaching a class called? Um, um, uh, anti-black racism, right? Can I do that? Am I able to? You know, I'm teaching a class even right now called Black Philosophy of Sex, uh, Sex, Gender, um, and Race, and it's like, what can I? Will that be a class that I can do? You know, right. in the future, I have no clue. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Unless I'm teaching it from an <laughs> from an objective and neutral um, uh, ma uh, manner, right? And it's a uh, wild to imagine. It's like I'm already not objective, because I'm. But the first thing is black philosophy. Oh, like, oh, it's like I'm already like taking up like it's already taking a position to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I mean, I, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean, I I have these. I absolutely have these worries, and then I I I guess they're even increased when I think about the the enforcement mechanism that that this executive order lays out it creates a hotline that oh, students yeah. can call oh. if if they experience discomfort or guilt or anguish around race sex gender any of these things and yeah, i mean yeah. so so this is terrifying in and of itself but this is again one of these places where I seriously worry about differential vulnerability and what that's going to mean. I mean, everything I know about racial anxiety, uh, everything I know about the research on racial anxiety tells us that uh, lots and lots of white folks experience discomfort oh, just yeah. being around BIPOC people. Yep, yep. So, so, I mean, this is just inviting, this is just asking for... Uh, extra vulnerability to be placed on on BIPOC folks, on on women, on LGBTQ plus folks. I mean, this is this is scary. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I mean, I, for me, when I actually have it on my notes here, like uh, bold, um, capitalized. Uh, yeah, that this that they have this investigation hotline for violating the order is insane to me. Um, but I understand, like that's that's how that's how. The, 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 that is how legality happens, right? That's how legal precedence happens. But this is where we go back again to what you said before, 
when we were talking about law and order politics and that minority is a criminal and that concepts that deal with uh, the social and political um, uh, in relationship to uh, biases is now criminalized, right? Um, in the sense that now, like someone's gonna pick up the phone and be like, oh, you know, I have this professor who's doing this thing, da 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 da. And what we read in section four is that breaking this order supposedly is going to cancel, terminate, or suspend federal funds. And so you were talking about this Monday when we were on a call together, right? Uh, this idea that um, uh, if, like, we do get an investigation placed on us in relationship to this, and we actually get, I get, I don't know what it would be like. Like we get like found it guilty of uh, breaking the order of combating race and sex stereotyping. Then uh, you were saying something that our universities may actually lose their funding, which is, you know, um, yeah, 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 scary. It's devious. It's devious. devious. (laughs) Then that means that your your university now. It's gonna be working down like it's it's I I hate like this is where it is decisive and it is and it is also this is where he's being you know a, a brilliant racist right because now the universities are gonna have a vested interest to silence right someone that would go against this order right and so the universities over overall are gonna then become more conservative right right. And so now the people that are coming out of universities are just going to like actually be pushed at, uh, at least ideology that is conservative is going to be pushed upon them. Right. Pushed upon them. And so then what we do, what we see then is that history is going to, I, I mean, this could end up changing the, the, like the scope of history for sure. Um, meaning that kids are now going to have a different set of knowledge, right? Uh, moving forward. Uh, right. Because the university is actually silencing you from bringing in um, things that are on the fringes because they're afraid that they're going to lose funding. Um, right. And I think I think this is this is a really important point too here because and it brings me back to, you know, uh, the time we had Charles Mills on the episode uh, on the on the podcast and the times we've talked about Charles Mills's work, because one of the things he really focuses on is the idea that um when people think when people think we have a social contract rather than the actual racial contract we have running our society they think that the contract running society is just social political and legal yeah. and one of the things that one of the things that charles mills focuses on is that uh, the actual racial contract we have underlying this supposed social contract is social political legal and epistemic Right. So so epistemic processes are surprisingly central to white supremacist projects. And I think this is this is part of what this executive order points out here is that uh, uh, to to continue to continue to perpetuate uh, white supremacy culture. Part of what Trump and his administration is recognizing is that we need to control the epistemic space in order to do that here. Right. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Um, this is a complete, I, I, I uh, hear you bring up epistemology and right off the bat, you know, all I'm thinking about is philosophy, right? Um, 
because we understand that knowledge matters. And so we follow it. We follow the train, the growth, um, the ways that it has affected society, the way that it has been um, in, infected by society, but we follow it and we find it to be extremely valuable, extremely valuable. Um, and not only us, but every other discipline also brings in con uh, uh, concepts of, uh, of epistemology. You know, yeah, I agree with you 100% um, about what you're saying about the, uh, epistemology um, being a means of power and control. Um, and I think that's what we see this document being. Um, we see it being something where uh, minority concepts are criminalized, where we begin to create a fake history. Um, and then we use intellect to become anti-intellectuals. Um, and the things that we're gonna have to ask after this podcast, um, and we really wanna push everyone else to be asking um, as you walk away from this podcast is, um, what does this mean uh, for quote unquote free speech uh, in relationship to, um, uh, to any type of uh, federal organization? Um, and uh, how then uh, will we as, a uni as universities move forward and talk about free speech? Um, I think this is something that, um, that uh, is uh, foundational to this executive order. Um, and I hope that you all will pick this up and read it as much as you can, um, and begin to talking about begin talking about this, and emailing um, your deans, emailing your department chairs, uh, because we need some answers. We really want to know what this means for us, um, and so we need someone to tell us, someone to tell us. So please go and contact your dean, contact your chair, um, let as many people as you can you can know what's going on. Um, and hopefully then we can have some type of response to this thing um, and then know where we can, how we can move forward, how we can move forward.